Hi, and welcome to the Chronic Contemplations Podcast with me, Bella. Okay, for those of you that don't know, hyperfixation is basically the immense focus on one person, activity, or object, um, and excluding or ignoring everything else. So hyperfixation involves a complete dedication and absorption on a single task, where anything beyond that task is kind of like tuned out. So individuals with hyperfixations tend to become deeply absorbed in the subject matter, sometimes like to the exclusion of other activities. And I kind of wanted to talk about that today because as you know, I have, I think personally, I ha- I tend to have quite a bit of times in my life where I kind of hyper fixated on a certain activity, sport, content, etc. And yeah, so I thought we would kind of like dive into that today. So I think we can start off when I started noticing these hyper fixations, which was kind of like middle school time. At the time, I kind of got really into K-pop, I know, but I was kind of influenced with my friends and it was kind of like an up and coming thing in 2017. And I distinctly remember when BTS, the boy, the boy group from South Korea, um, was performing at the American Music Awards. I think they were performing their DNA performance. And for me, I was a little intrigued because Typically, in the past, there wasn't many Asian artists that were, like, up-and-coming and prominently dominant or, like, performing on Western, like, award shows. And, like, I've had experience listening to Asian artists because of my family growing up and my dad playing Hong Kong artists and Taiwanese artists and just mainly Chinese artists. So I was aware that there were other Asian artists, but they weren't just as prevalent prevalent in Western society or like media. So like as a seventh grader who was Asian American, it was kind of just a time where I could recognize that there was Asian representation in a Western society like award show. And I think a lot of it kind of like also was an influence from my friends. And at the time I was like, what is this? Like genuinely, I was like, what is this kind of like thing or like what like I didn't know what it was what is k-pop Korean pop music what's the difference between that and American pop I guess and at the time I was really like overwhelmed with school and I wasn't really enjoying it and extracurriculars as well and it kind of gave me this space to just like learn about a whole nother cultures like music industry and for those of you those of you that don't know, um, K-pop is basically so there's really just like a lot that goes into it. So kind of an example I think that is distinctly like different between Korean pop music and just Western pop music is like through its like how it's basically put together. So typically in these K-pop groups, they tend to have really heavy choreography and 
really visually appealing like music videos and their music tends to blend various different genres so there would be like some like synth from a certain pop like song or some rhythm from like hip-hop or R&B and like maybe some incorporation of like electronic dance music and I think another thing that kind of is very different is that they have idol groups and typically it's if you think about it in the western perspective it is basically like a ton of boy bands and girl bands like just together coming together and it is kind of just like a group of young talent that these entertainment companies in south korea have that bring all these like talented young artists and kids to not only just like sing and create music but also learn how to dance and typically these major music companies and entertainment companies in south korea will hone on a specific concept or theme unique to those numbers to fit a niche audience okay and one of these the things that these entertainment companies do to generate all of these different k-pop groups is they have a training system so kids aspiring to be a k-pop idol or a singer or a musician will typically undergo a like kind of rigorous training system or like boot camp under these like entertainment entertainment companies and they would go and train in singing dancing and if they're like not fluent in korean they will take language lessons and sometimes even have like media training to like practice like literally presenting material to an audience so like these trainees is what they're called um they basically are investing years of their life to hone these skills before i guess debuting to society and to these fans and there are like a lot of vocabulary within the k-pop and k-pop industry and world that it can kind of get confusing so one a few words are that there's they have debuts and comebacks so basically once an idol or a group is ready to debut with an official like first release of a song that is basically like their initial release into the public so like they will release their first music video or their first song or first concept etc and after that the group often will make comebacks like quote-unquote comebacks and it's basically when they are releasing a new album or song to basically stay relevant within pop culture essentially and typically these comebacks are highly anticipated events because fans who haven't heard their music in a little bit will be like oh my god they're releasing new music or there's gonna be no new choreography a new theme etc and i think in this industry they focus heavily on fan engagement and they often are connected strongly through social media and they will often have like fan meetings and fan clubs which is it can be kind of a sense of community and give you a sense of community but also can have like kind of a bit of a toxic culture but 
Yeah. And I think something very innovative within the K-pop industry is their marketing strategy. Like, they will show teasers, have reality shows, feature idols on award shows, etc. Like, TikTok trends, too. Like, their investment on fan interaction and keeping the fans happy is much more prioritized than compared to the Western media. And I think in K-pop, there's a lot of subgenres as to what kind of makes it what it is today. And they tend to focus on fashion and style because K-pop is not really just about the music, about the audio, about the dance choreography even. It's about the visuals, the fashion, and kind of creates a giant spectacle for the fans to enjoy. So often all these idols will be wearing stylish outfits and have distinctive looks and have brand collaborations to be known for wearing a certain type of brand. And it kind of influences trends beyond what people are listening to. It also like incorporates into kind of like the celebrity industry that Hollywood and Western media definitely kind of have has. So kind of diving into that, I think that as a society, we tend to have a weird connection or idolization of celebrities, even like beyond K-pop. Like, in kind of modern media, we tend to examine the dynamics between celebrities. So often there is some sort of intrigue into their dating lives or what they're wearing or what they're eating or what new fad is going on or trend, essentially. And I think there's just a lot of intrigue surrounding their personal stories to make them who they are today. And as a consumer of media, we tend to just want to know what makes them so successful and influential. So more often than not, we want to learn more about them, what makes them who they are, what they wear, what they do, and kind of copy in a way their success. And I think it also like inherently expands our communal nature as a society to kind of gossip. And I kind of see it as a driver into our societal kind of like collective fascination with the private lives of public figures because as kind of a cultural phenomenon, it becomes a part of many people's daily conversations and also like their media consumption. And I think having constant access to information about celebrities via like social media, Twitter, news, etc. It has the potential to influence how a lot of individuals kind of perceive that singular being. And being able to have the exposure to the intimate details about their lives, I think can kind of subtly influence how 
the general population views relationships, success, and just general societal norms. And as human, as a human, we kind of have human nature to want to know how to level up or kind of like better our own lives. And through being able to like kind of scrutinize and pick through these lives of public figures, we as the general public can generally form opinions via drawing parallels to our own personal experiences. And it kind of even develops our sense of connection with whatever celebrity we are gossiping about. And it kind of like brings up the idea of parasocial relationships. And I think the exposure to this gossip can also kind of like prompt us as people to reflect on our own values, aspirations, and kind of even what we ourselves consider to be societal norms. And when we kind of examine this phenomenon, I think that a great example is kind of like this big thing that popped up this past year, which is the Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey situation. And it kind of made a lot of people kind of reflect on what people see as a healthy relationship and what should be kind of characterized as the social norm of having a relationship. And I think it kind of prompted many people to kind of reflect on a situation being these two people in two different industries coming together to form a relationship. And it kind of made us reflect and analyze what we deem as a correct, quote unquote, like relationship and that what makes an equal relationship balancing when a woman is working and being aspirationally hardworking in her own industry and a male who is just also dominating his own industry too and coming together if that is what makes a relationship more balanced. And it also, I think, made people reflect on kind of their own aspirations, values, and kind of what they deem as socially expected when approaching a relationship. Though I think there's a huge thing that needs to be addressed via kind of, like there's a fine line between entertainment and intrusion and like observing and analyzing a situation. And while I think celebrity gossip kind of forms an escapism and through like entertainment, I think it also, we need to raise these questions about ethics ethical considerations surrounding like the private lives of these public figures. We need to realize that although there is good in analyzing and talking about these situations in these celebrities' lives, they are still human beings with emotions, vulnerabilities, and like a right to kind of protect a certain aspect of their personal lives. And I do think that there should be limits on the extent of celebrity gossip to respect their privacy. Well, I think it's also I think there's a way that we can do it while also engaging with their professional work and their like kind of public contributions to society. Anyways, <laughs> we were talking about hyperfixations and kind of I think <laughs> actually a more recent hyperfixation I've 
kind of had this past year was with Formula One. And I kind of heard about Formula One from a friend, shout out to Ashley. And I had also seen like a few tidbits about it from TikTok. And at the time I wasn't super interested, but I was also like, that seems a little intriguing, you know? And of course, scrolling through TikTok, eventually I get all the F1 TikTok girlies. And I can kind of like name a few of them, like Irene, Neha, and like Joe with her slay and praise of motorsports, Lizzie McIntosh. And I think they all bring to light certain aspects of Formula One I wouldn't have like known about or appreciated. And for those of you that don't know what Formula One is, um, it is an open wheel racing car motorsport sport. Um, the definition basically is it is typically noted as the pinnacle of motorsport and it kind of is known for its high performance racing cars and cutting edge technology and global appeal. Like it typically is a space where there's a lot of innovation happening within the realm of, mo of motorsports. And uh, it features a calendar of Grand Prix held on iconic racing tracks worldwide throughout for like both teams and drivers. There are 20 drivers on the grid and 10 teams or also known as constructors that build the cars. And basically each team and constructor constructors are creating specifically and specially designed and engineered cars that kind of push the limits of speed and aerodynamics. And sometimes, I can't say sometimes, it's not always about racing, but it's more so a competition where these teams will invest into research development and innovation into building these cars to kind of gain a competitive edge over other teams and drivers. So kind of this year, there was kind of an influx of honestly a lot of viewers, I think this year compared to previous years because of social media, of kind of like, there's a whole thing around it and like, including Drive to Survive, which is like a docu-series on Netflix that kind of highlights the past few years within the sport. And I think something it does similarly to other top sports is kind of aligning with fans and like having a fan and team alliance, allegiance, sorry. And kind of a lot of the enthusiasts kind of form strong connections with these individual drivers or teams. And it's not sometimes just for the thrill of racing and engineering, but also kind of like just the narratives surrounding the personalities and dynamics within the F1 community that I think Drive to Survive kind of highlighted well. In my opinion, it kind of is a little bit overdramatized, but I think it's a great way for new fans to kind of get into the general understanding of how Formula One kind of operates and functions. And I might just do a whole episode on Formula One, but like kind of getting back to the point about, about hover fixations, I think the reason I kind of hyperfixated on it for a while over this past like kind of summer was honestly I just really appreciated the narratives and the way it kind of is a year-round sport but also like 
the discussions, the debates, the camaraderie within the F1 community is kind of like really enjoyable to like learn about and like be a part of. And I think there is kind of like a blend of intellectual stimulation from like the engineering and technical feats of just like Red Bulls, honestly, their car this year was like incredible. It was like incredibly fast and like they were winning almost every single race this year. But that also doesn't mean that there wasn't good racing on the other parts of the grid because other people are not getting first place. Like there's great drives from all the drivers. But I think there's also a part of the community that is sometimes toxic because people have come from watching Drive to Survive into like the F1 community fan base. But besides that, I think that being able to appreciate just all the engineering and technical feats, but also racing and competition, but also strategy is like super fun and interesting for me personally. So delving back into like the psychology behind hyperfixations, I think they are not arbitrary. There are so many, like so much psychological understanding as to why certain topics kind of become captivating for certain people and so certain people's like brains and minds and i think some factors can be like novelty emotional resonance or even just like intellectual simulation that just makes a particular subject so much more interesting and like irresistible to just like dive headfirst into learning about but i also think that there's some good into it where it can transform our way of thinking and shaping kind of how our creativity works and it kind of also i think in a way fuels our curiosity to life and i think through sharing our personal insights into just random hyper hyper fixations where it can be even just like doing a sport so for me i also kind of this past summer kind of was like oh i really want to learn how to sail so in a way i took the experience of, hey, I want to learn, like the feeling of, I want to learn how to sail and put it into actions of, hey, I'm gonna learn how to sail and I'm gonna sign up for this begin to sail class. So in a way, I think it has shaped how I can view life in a different way. And I think it kind of, I think through sharing our personal insights into random hyperfixations, we can kind of see how these act as catalysts to express our thoughts more creatively. We can kind of create a community diving into the influences of how our thought processes and like diving into how, or diving into like generate, generate, generative, gener into generating innovative ideas and kind of like pushing the boundaries of creativity and imagination and through exploring these kind of like these fixations. I think personally they acted as pivotal, pivotal moments, at least in my life that kind of like changed and kind of made me discover a part of myself and it kind of expanded to my own personal understanding of the world. And I think, again, as I was saying, whether it's like acquiring a new skill or broadening like pers 
perspectives of people and innovations, I think it also kind of deepens our knowledge of the world. And I think hyperfixations kind of have become like a dynamic part of my journey in this world or like kind of like my life. So yeah, I think there's just so much about this world that we can learn and grow from that I think sometimes is it not good that they kind of like take up my day and sometimes I would rather learn about a certain topic or thing or person over maybe studying and prioritizing my own future, yes. But I think to a certain point, there can be a balance between just having a simple interest and hobby that a hyperfixation can give you in addition to being consistent within your daily life and practicing good habits such as eating healthy, eating consistently, sleeping regularly, brushing teeth and cleanliness and hygiene. I think having a balance of all of that is how you can kind of make your way through the world. And hyperfixations to me kind of are like, they're kind of like threads in a tapestry. They kind of weave together in weird ways, in unexpected ways, but, and also like kind of seemingly unrelated. But I think in a way everyone kind of is a collection of all of these hyperfixations and experiences, ideas, and thoughts that we kind of draw all of these experiences together to kind of form an identity. Like interconnecting all of these weird, random hyperfixations and interconnecting them together. And I think that kind of makes us who we are today. And it's kind of the reason on why it makes people who they are, if that kind of makes sense. And as we kind of come to an end, I kind of wanted to ask you guys, like, what are your experiences with hyperfixation, like moments where you kind of have these random things that you kind of love and kind of tying them together in a weird connection that kind of, I think, caused a change in you to recognize something within yourself. And if you have kind of a deeper understanding of yourself and the world around you because of your hyperfixations. And I think, I don't think I ever tied it back, but I think my hyperfixation between K-pop and F1 is kind of just their analysis into like the narratives. Oh, and also celebrity gossip is kind of just being able to analyze kind of how people go about the world, if that kind of makes sense. Whether it's through being passionate about music and kind of like, I guess, Taylor Swift, like she was really into songwriting and she would do that so often that she kind of, it kind of made her who she is today, which is why she's known to be a amazing, I guess, pop artist because her lyrics just connect so much with her audience. Or in K-pop, if you just want to have a mass following because you put your whole childhood basically into dancing, singing, language learning, and PR learning, and it's kind of just, they know how to navigate that space and style and fashion just to influence a ton of people. 
because they have something they want to say or they want to do eventually in the future. And, or just the drive and ambition for Formula One drivers to become the F1 drivers they are now driving these super fast cars that are literally at the forefront of motorsport innovation of aerodynamics and just engineering itself. It kind of all intertwines because from what I've learned about myself is that I really love learning people's narratives and what makes them who they are and kind of ambitious people who go after what they want in life because I want that for myself. And I can recognize that through all of these hyperfixations, I know I am a very driven kind of person who will go after what they want, even though I do recognize I have times where I can be a little bit scared of going after what I actually want. And I think these hyperfixations often are overconsuming sometimes because I recognize, at least in these past few years, I need to like hone back on hyperfixations a little more often, but like have a more balanced approach to them. But yeah, sorry, <laughs> went on a little bit of a tangent on psychoanalyzing myself, but yeah. So again, back to the question for you guys, I want to ask about your guys' experiences with hyperfixations and kind of like your moments where you can kind of see the unexpected connection between all of these hyperfixations you have and moments that kind of spark something in you where you kind of recognize parts of yourself you otherwise wouldn't have recognized as much because you can kind of see them in kind of what you're interested in if that makes sense and if they made you have a deeper understanding about yourself and kind of like the world around you so yeah just think about that and thank you for listening and i hope you have a good week